to welcome you all very warmly to this retreat here at Kaya House. <coughs> My name is Yanai and this is Helen and uh, we're both very happy to be here with you for this uh, period of time that we'll be together. And we'd like to uh, spend the next 40, 50 minutes or so just uh, speaking about the retreat and what we'll be doing here together. <clears throat> Can I check the volume? Is it okay? Not too loud? Okay, good. And, uh, yeah. So, you've come to Gaia House, and some of you perhaps quite familiar with this place, this environment, and for others of you, the first time coming into a silent retreat situation or to this particular place and I think it's rather wonderful and uh, very uh, good thing to uh, to come to be here on a retreat. Some of you may be a little sort of uh, uncertain as to what you've got yourself into or you know what it's going to be like and hopefully we can set your set your minds at ease with regard to that. This situation here is one that, although perhaps a little unusual in the context of our ordinary lives or what most people do much of the day, there's also something very, I would say, ordinary about what we'll be doing here, which is exploring ways to be more fully and consciously in contact with and touch with our lives, the truth of our experience. And this is something that people have done. People like ourselves, like you, like me. Throughout all times and in all places in the world. As a way of exploring what's possible for us as human beings. To come on retreat is to not so much leave one's life or depart from one's world, but to come into a situation that allows one to meet one's life and engage with one's world from a more clear and conscious place and from a greater degree of understanding and compassion, ultimately. So, you know, I imagine for some of you there was a lot of organisation and uh, planning and preparation that went into being able to get here and the journey to make, the... uh, the need to arrange someone to look after the children or the the pets or the partner or whatever it might be that you've left behind in coming here. And there's a certain certain something it requires of us to come and do this kind of activity. We may have otherwise have chosen, you know, hearing that it was going to be a sunny weekend to go to the beach or to... Uh, plan on something that involved a lot of lying around in the sun. And there'll be the odd opportunity for enjoying the sunshine, should it continue, which of course isn't guaranteed. But the the way in which we often use our leisure time, it seems, is to recover from our lives. That the demands and the pressures and the challenges of living in our world and dealing with the process of taking care of our survival, our livelihood, food and home and 
all those sort of things that we need. Often it can be that the time that's left over we feel like, uh, wow, I'm just trying to catch up with myself. And this seems more and more prevalent in our world as it seems to move faster and faster while not necessarily actually getting any further ahead of where it ever has been. So in coming into a retreat we have the opportunity to really step out of that that pressure and that process of rushing towards something or somewhere else and begin to connect with, begin to explore directly in our own experience what it's like to be here, what it means to be that which we are. And this shift away from really pursuing things in the world, situations or experiences and turning towards where we are, towards what we are, towards what this is right here. This is essentially the shift that frames the turning from the worldly life to the spiritual life. And what we'll be engaged in here is essentially concerned with that, the the life of what we could call the spirit. The, uh, that aspect of our life or our experience, our truth, that is concerned with our deepest possibility, our greatest potentiality, with exploring, with uncovering, and with coming to understand and know for ourselves what is possible for us as human beings. And great teachers and sages in the past and indeed in the present speak to us of possibilities that are remarkable and yet at the same time accessible for us. Teachings of insight meditation that we'll be using in the in the days here involve and draw very much from the teachings of the Buddha, who was a human being who lived two and a half thousand years ago and who was interested in engaging with his life and understanding what was really important, what could make a difference, what could make sense of the challenges and the struggles and what could reveal a pathway of of freedom, of well-being, of peace in the midst of the conflicts, the confusions and the difficulties we may encounter in life. And through his own life and his exploration came to some remarkable and profound understanding. And this will be one of the primary frameworks to which we'll be referring to and drawing upon in the teaching and the practice of meditation. And uh, likewise other teachings and in the, the yoga tradition as Helen will speak to in a few moments, I trust. Well, in fact I know because we've already <laughs> spoken about that but uh, I'll leave that to her. Other wisdom and uh, practice can be drawn upon and brought to bear on our lives and in this retreat there's really a way in which we seek to bring together and offer in a kind of a shared space and container the uh, the benefit of the, the wisdom of great teachings and equally the hopefully benefit and value of our own practice in our lives as we've received and drawn upon teachings and uh, explored the process of sharing them, practicing them. So as I said, it's something rather 
rather precious and beautiful to come and engage in a retreat like this, to uh, <clears throat> give oneself the offering, we could say, to make oneself a gift, or as one of my friends, uh, teacher here, Martin, says, to think of a retreat as it's like a treat for yourself, think rather a, a nice way to frame it, like something precious that we offer to ourselves and that we can allow ourselves to receive. And it may be at times there are elements within it that may be challenging or that we might find not easily able to understand or take in. And with that, my encouragement to you will be to just stay as open as you can to whatever comes. To not have too many expectations as to how this should be. Not to place too many demands upon yourself as to how you should be in this situation, but to be curious, to be interested, to see, well, what does happen? How do we show up? What is our experience here? And in that way, whatever comes can be used as a a basis for learning, for growing, for understanding, for exploring. And whether you've done this kind of thing many times before, or whether you're doing it for the very first time here, beginning today, None of us really know what's going to happen. We don't know how it will be, what will take place. And so there's a certain freshness and uh, a valuable sort of innocence or um, openness we can bring to the process, while at the same time noticing that when we acknowledge that, sometimes there's a little sort of uncertainty or unease with that. It's like, "Mm, what is going to happen? Easily we can be used to being somewhat or having at least the wish to create the appearance of being in control of what's happening, knowing what's going to happen. And so we'd like to kind of give you a little framework for what is going to happen so you don't need to be too concerned about that. And yet at the same time, we don't know what's going to happen either. If we did, we'd be quite happy to let you know. But what we do know, and what I can say with real confidence, is that the, the forms that we're offering and that we'll be using here allow us to find the resources that we need to meet whatever comes. To discover within ourselves the capacity we have to, to engage wholesomely, skillfully, and creatively with our lives, just however they are. So I'd like to speak a little bit about how we create together the environment and framework in which we can engage in our practice. There's a way we come to Gaia House and it's sort of, something's already here for us. We're very fortunate, in fact, to come to a place like Gaia House or Retreat Centre where throughout the year and for many years, retreats are ongoing. And so there's a certain quality, feel, we might say, when we arrive, we can sense that it's a place of stillness or contemplation or reflection or kindness or whatever it is we may notice. And that there's something here in the grounds that people have come with a spirit of interest, of inquiry, of deep care and concern for life to engage as we will be engaging. And so, and there's the support and the the, the presence and support of the uh, 
of the coordinators who live and work here and take care of much of the practicalities of day-to-day existence so that we don't need to too much. And that creates space for us in which we can, we can be here. <clears throat> and with that outer framework, there's then what we could say is the inner framework of the retreat that we create together, essentially as a community for this time. And how we do that, there's really three primary areas or principles that are very beneficial like to speak about. The first is the silence, being here together in silence. And this is one which for most people coming the first time leads to the most or the greatest sense of sort of uncertainty or <coughs> possibly our friends and our family have assured us with great confidence that there's no way you are going to be silent for three or four whole days. And We've maybe found ourselves wondering ourselves, can I do it? Will that be possible? So to know within the silence, of course, there will be the opportunity to uh, ask questions and to meet in uh, small groups with Helen and I, which we'll speak a bit more about um, probably tomorrow. But you will have the opportunity to meet with us, each of us in a group. And there'll be some spaces for individual meetings for those who might wish. But... Being in silence, rather than it uh, being the kind of daunting or sort of almost like a, some kind of punishment we might associate silence with when, from childhood, like if we've been bad, we're not, no one will talk to us or we're sent away to our room on our own. The environment of silence is something that allows us to be with ourselves, to step out of the world of constant interaction, constant engagement the way in which we're, it seems required to have to be somebody, present ourselves in a certain way for others all the time. And the, although there can be something lovely about that, there's also a certain pressure and often anxiety and an effort that goes on and on with that. <coughs> and so coming and being in silence can give us an opportunity to let all of that go and to really be with ourselves. It's quite a precious thing to have time to be with ourselves. Not because there's nobody else to talk to, but because we're interested, hopefully, in, in what that's like to really meet ourselves directly. And there's a certain gentle discipline that's required because for most of us it's natural and ordinary to engage in conversation or to see someone in the corridor and say, hello, how are you? And all of that. So it might feel a little strange to not do that initially. And yet most people, and I think quite reliably, come to find over time that there's another way of meeting and engaging that we discover in the silence. It's not so much about the meeting of our personalities or the fulfilling of our sort of normal social expectations. But it's something about just what it is to simply be a human being. And a profound commonality that we discover with regard to that in the silence. But in terms of the discipline of silence, what it means is to really refrain from engaging with each other in communication. Of course, that's primarily not speaking with each other. 
And if you've come with friends or family members or partners, to really make a clear intention and a commitment to yourself and to each other to refrain from that form of engagement as a gift and expression of respect to yourself and to anyone you might know here. So that you both have the opportunity to really be with yourselves while you're here and to trust that the other person will be okay and their needs will be taken care of. And if it's that you become concerned for someone else's well-being, let one of the coordinators or Helen or myself know and we'll make sure they're okay. So you don't need to be concerned in that regard. Um, This also includes note writing, not writing notes or sort of in other ways engaging with each other. And it creates a certain safety for us all so that everyone here can just be as they are without needing in any way to have to explain or accommodate whatever's going on for themselves or for other people. These days, having the chance to be on one's own in that regard or just free from communication is becoming less and less possible with the sort of the the world really becoming so much available to us through the internet and through mobile communications technology. It's not very often that we are out of range of a cell phone or a wireless hotspot. And so with regard to that, it's actually even harder for many of us to just bring it to an end for a few days. Not because there's anything wrong with speaking or communication, or texts or emails or all of that, but just because we're so used to, and it sometimes seems addicted and dependent upon having that contact, having that interaction. And so I would ask you really to give yourself a break from that, and particularly with cell phones, which this isn't something we used to have to say 10 or 20 years ago because they just weren't around. But these days, turn your cell phone off. Texting is sometimes imagined by people, oh, I didn't say a thing, I was completely silent. And yet it's that whole getting into that activity takes us out of ourselves and tends to keep the mind in its habitual pattern of spinning, spinning, reactivity, busyness, activity. So maybe this is all clear enough for you, but it seems like it to me, it seems it needs to be said more and more clearly. Really give yourself a break from that. If you don't think... You can leave your cell phone turned off for the next three or four days. Give it to Helen or I. And we promise not to make any long international calls. (laughs) And we'll give it back to you at the end. And of course, if there are people who you you think might need to hear from you or might expect to hear from you because they don't know what you're doing, maybe at the end of this day, just to take the chance to let them know that and that you'll be in touch with them on Tuesday, and uh, that everything's fine. And there's something then about just, ha, ah, can breathe out. It's like, don't need to take care of the world for just a few days. And so it's a real gift of space to ourselves, as well as that opportunity to be with ourselves in the silence. <coughs> The second element of the retreat foundation really is the, the quality of, of simplicity, of not getting busy while you're here, not having too much to do. 
A lot of the practice that we'll be offering in sitting and walking and the little standing meditation and, and the yoga practice and that meditative engagement also is going to be quite simple. It's not going to be too complicated. It's not going to be a lot of goals that we're going to set up that you can sort of work your way through and tick off. We're not going to give you a sort of a, a score sheet at the end that's going to tell you all how well you've done and that you can show your friends to show you've graduated from you know, yoga and meditation 2009. And yet again, we might so deeply in our hearts yearn for less busyness, less activity, just some open, empty space to be. And yet the compulsion and the habit and the tendency of mind is easily to look for something to do, to get busy with. So while you're here, again, if you can, and so far as you can, don't get involved with doing anything more than you actually need to or that we really invite you to. And uh, one way, particularly with that, is to refrain from reading, from getting into books and all of that. Even if you brought some wonderfully wise or compassionate spiritual text with you that you want to sort of draw upon, there's a much greater depth and richness of wisdom and heartfulness to be discovered in our own lives and experience when we meet them directly, not having to seek it from the the words of others at this time. And of course there'll be enough words and that uh, Helen and I will have plenty to say during the time. That's the other thing about silence. It doesn't mean we're not going to be speaking, as you've probably already guessed, uh, sitting here listening to me, and uh, Helen will speak in in a moment or two. Um, So refraining from reading and writing also. Not feeling you need to kind of take any spare time to catch up on old letters that you haven't answered or sort of working on a sort of some kind of project that you've been hoping for some spare time to deal with. Putting down the world of words and the world of concepts that it kind of connects us with allows us to come more directly into contact with our immediate experience. And this is the the primary vehicle for deepening our hearts and our minds, our lives. For really the unfolding of our spiritual journey, we could say. And so, reading and writing, let them go. Give yourself the space. And if when you're in a period of the day where there's nothing structured and you notice there's an urge to go and, you know, fold up all your clothes and repack your suitcase or unpack your suitcase or just kind of get busy with something, notice if that's happening and see if you can not. So keep it simple. Again, a real gift to yourself and to each other. And the the last aspect or foundation really of the retreat space that we create together is the undertaking of the ethical precepts or guidelines of non-harming, which I think the managers will have mentioned to you. Is that right? Right, good, good. And some of you will be very familiar with these. Others perhaps heard them for the first time in the manager's opening talk when Juliet, I believe, was speaking with you. Sorry, the coordinator's opening talk. Um, so these, these principles, to refrain from causing harm to any living creature, to refrain from taking that which is not given, seeing how we don't wish to cause harm here, 
to ourselves or to each other. And that by making a commitment to this, refraining from harmful expressions of sexuality, which in the context of a retreat and being on our own means celibacy, not engaging in intentional sexuality while you're here, refraining from un from harmful or unskillful expressions of speech. So supporting the silence. And when we are speaking, and if there may be some practical need to engage with one of the coordinators or around our work period, for instance, or when we're meeting in small groups and or if there's question opportunities, again, just seeing where we come from when we speak. And likewise, refraining from intoxicants, things that cloud the mind. All of these allow us to create an environment of safety and of respect respect for each other and for ourselves. And that safety and that respect allows us to have the confidence to explore places where we may feel some sensitivity or vulnerability, where we might not otherwise find it easy to to go. And so it's really important. And it's also something very precious for us. To spend a period of days together with a group of people, we have you know forty something people here, and more in terms of everyone else in the house, be sixty people in the house. That everyone here makes a commitment as part of being here to refrain from causing harm. And there's something remarkable and beautiful about that. And so we ask everyone here to undertake that, not out of a sense of some kind of moral injunction of you should do that, and if you don't, you're bad. It's not as if we're able to be perfect at anything. But there's a basic orientation in our hearts towards respect and caring for life, for others and for ourselves. And that orientation is also crucial for the development and for the deepening of meditative practice and for the deepening of wisdom and understanding, compassion in our hearts. And these, we all contribute to, the sense of silence together, the simplicity of the environment, and the sense of safety through the intention to refrain from causing harm so far as we're able. And within that, we can engage in practice. We can begin to look and see what it is that truly contributes to to wisdom, to compassion, to peace, to the transformation of suffering and to the realisation, the discovery of our remarkable potential as human beings. And really this is what we're here for. So I'll pass you over now to Helen. Good evening. Uh, similar to Yanai, I very much appreciate your coming. I think it's it's a lot of effort. Uh, I remember my first time when I went to Gaia House, I uh, still lived in Germany, and it was a lot of effort to come to this place. And even today when I drove in here, I was so grateful for having Gaia House. Uh, and it always touches me very deeply that there is a place where I feel I can go to and it is an outer house for my, my, my spirituality. It feels a place where I can go to and, and sit and share the teaching. Sometimes I'm sitting over there on your side. 
Sometimes I'm sitting here teaching the yoga retreat with Yanai. Uh, and it is a reflection on the inner place we are looking forward, on this inner place where we search for something. And in, in this way, it takes up uh, from the Yoga Sutras. The, the first beginning is, and now you start your practice. And this is every day, and now I start my practice. So coming here is often a starting point because it takes an effort to come here. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you made this effort. The yoga practice, as Jana mentioned already, is very much interlinked with the mindfulness teachings and it's based on the teachings I received uh, since 79 from my Indian yoga teacher, Sri Asracha Gopalan. They are very simple because they are very much drawn inwardly. So it is not very exciting, but if you close your eyes, it can become very exciting because you become very subtle, your awareness will become very subtle. So sometimes people ask me, how is it possible that you or your teacher or teachers he's, uh, who have been with him for many years can teach so many different people? young and old and big and small and fit or not fit. And I think if we, we look into the yoga, we, the scriptures all point us to the spiritual. So my hope is, even if you're a beginner in yoga or if you've done it for many, many years, that you take home one element you can work with, some, some fresh idea what the yoga can offer you which might point towards that which is beyond the physical. And that's why we, uh, when we look at the bodies, they are all different. But if you look at your mind, it's the same old mind. A small child wants a small wooden toy. And then you get your teenage child and it wants an iPhone. And then you become a student and then hopefully you are looking for a small flat. And then you get older and then you want a big car. But it's the same <coughs> mind you're dealing with. And it doesn't matter if you're in a young body or in an old body. If the body is complete or if something is missing in the body. If the body is ill or if it is healthy. You're dealing with the mind. And that is uh, where the yoga is pointing to. So hopefully after these days, you will look at the yoga practice from this viewpoint. How in the light of this, how is it pointing to my mind? How can I assess my yoga practice from this viewpoint? And in this way, uh, Vipassana in yoga is beautifully interlinked because it uses mindfulness in this practice, so you could call it mindful yoga. Uh, it is a practice where you become very much aware. That's why we slow down the movements very much, so that you have the time to see what you really want to see and to experience fully what you want to experience. And the first day is sometimes a little bit more difficult because either we're very speedy and it's really hard to slow down, and I find that it's always when I come to Denbury and I come off the motorway and you've been driving 80 miles per hour and then suddenly there's this sh sharp curve into Denbury and then you're running in these small roads 
And first it really feels slowly. But then you get used to it. And what happens is you can see more. No? If you drive very fast, there's not much you can see. But if you slow down, you can see much more. You can experience things with more depth. So that's why this yoga practice we use very slow movements and holding. Now, I think what I took mostly away from my yoga teacher and still do is an extreme kindness. And possibly that was good because I come more from a kind of beating myself up. So (coughs) I was always very hard on myself. And sometimes in the yoga practice, this can happen. I can't reach my toes. I can't get my leg up. And we, we explore patterns of thinking immediately. We will, when we are really observing in the way how we move the body, how we deal with the body, will be immediately a reflection on our mind state. And I remember my yoga teacher closing his eyes, giving the instructions, and I was really left to see my own mind working. He was not sitting there and, like Jan, I said, giving grades. So you can use the yoga practice to really as a way to understand your mind. And, and I'm often very touched uh, until recently. I was very lucky to work with some of these very angry boys in one of the schools I'm living. I work part-time as a young people's counsellor for Relight. And they always sent, were sending me the angry boys, which smashed up the chairs or had become very difficult. Uh, and their, their body was showing a lot of anger. They were press, expressing a lot of anger in what they were doing. And then in, in this way, it's similar, possibly more subtle, but sometimes when we do a yoga posture, we can see our mind states. Am I impatient? Am I already going for the next movement? Am I bored? So the yoga practice, and if you look into the, the sutras again, the potentially sutras, they point to the mind. And that's what we, we do in this way. The process is really very well interlinked. And that might relieve you from some fears, because whenever I read the forms, and there's often lots of, I can't sit cross-legged, fantastic, then sit on a chair, really. I can't do this. So accept your body. And I, um, I think it's important, especially in the first sessions or possibly over the whole process, to acknowledge your limitations and how often we go beyond the limitations without really understanding our limitations. So in, in the yoga practice, we, we are very interested in this point when, the, when we start to have some struggle can we really stay there and open up to that instead of forcing something or withdrawing? So whenever you notice that, my invitation is really not to go beyond the limitations you experience in your body, except when, when that was your way, how you learned it. I really would like to encourage you, just stay there, become more attentive. And I was aware, reading your forms, that some of you are taking medication uh, with painkillers. So that means you're on a much lower threshold in the moment when you take painkillers. So be really very attentive to your body. Because it's a two-way thing. Your mind is telling the body what to do. It says, oh, lift your leg now. 
And then you have to listen to your body. The body is talking back to you. It has its own language. If you fasten it or if you're not listening to it, there's always a chance that you can create some harm to yourself. And I think that's the beauty. You really create a deeper understanding of body and mind. It is a dialogue. So when you say to the body, lift your arm, and the body says, oh no, I really don't want to lift my arm. It's too heavy. And keep the arm down and wait till the body is ready. So in this way, I think that that's why this is a very special retreat, because it uses mindfulness in sitting and walking and in movement.